How are we doing, guys? It's Matt Whitmore here, of course, one half of Fitter Food, and this is Fitter Food Radio, but you probably know that by now, because this is episode number 40, so we're quite a, quite a way in, and of course, Keris is with me. Hello. How are we doing? Hello. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> Everyone's really relieved that you um, started the podcast this time, it's not just me. Why? <laughs> Keris has been very, very hard on herself, because if you have listened to episode 39, you'll know that it was Keris's first solo podcast and personally you know without even being biased I think she's done an absolutely fantastic job but it's uh, just not my bag it just felt wrong without you there I was, I was actually really nervous I don't like all this radio presenter stuff like you know introduce <laughs> if anyone's listened they'll know that I didn't even say what number podcast it was like oh, but... we was inundated with complaints about that case. <laughs> <laughs> and then because like Barry who I was interviewing Barry Murray who's an endurance um uh, an endurance athlete and um, he's a performance nutritionist focuses on paleo really knowledgeable guy um, but I didn't know him that well so it's just all the more a little bit awkward it's just just not my natural thing that I do this is your your thing it's tough though <laughs> isn't it it is tough so no, yeah it put it? me out of my comfort zone but to be fair the day that we booked that in and you um ended up having to go to a meeting we would normally reschedule and say we'll do it another time but I thought do you know what today I'm going to do something that's just do something that scares you yeah basically a bit of a challenge and it is my worst nightmare that sort of stuff it's not very natural doesn't come natural to me to present like that and you know you should be you're going to be the next Lorraine I think but next Lorraine yeah could you not afford a better (laughs) comparison Jonathan Ross I was going to say at least a male presenter for starters (laughs) chatty man (laughs) Alan Carr yeah (laughs) could you imagine anywho this is our first podcast cast of uh, 2015. It is. Um, which is pretty awesome. A new year is upon us. Where yeah. the hell did 2014 go, Keris? I know, it flew It did fly by. But that we, we do keep repeating. That's because no one ever takes time out anymore and, you know, gets We're... offline and calms down and appreciates being in the moment. We've been talking a lot about that recently on our blogs. You know, and that's think how slow time goes when you're doing absolutely nothing, when you're bored, when you're twiddling your thumbs. Like if you're waiting for something, most of us don't do this anymore because the minute we have to wait, we get on our phones. But yeah. and then think how fast time goes when you've got so much to do, and that's why I think the years are literally flying by. Because you've always got something to do. Yeah, so. that's a good shout. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> Take a year off work, and it'll go so slow. <laughs> um, but guys, um, I hope everyone had an absolutely awesome Christmas, and of course saw the new year in in style. Um, you know, Christmas is a great time to kind of spend times with friends and family, and just chill the hell out. And I hope plenty of you done that, and you caught up on your sleep, and ate tons of awesome food, and no doubt had a fair few drinks as well. But that's what it's about. You know, it's about good times. And as Kerry said, I think a lot of us don't have enough of those. I'm not saying it always needs to involve food and booze, but 2015, make one of your goals. You know, just to laugh more, smile more, and just do more for you and, and be happy. And I know about for me, I mean, I was thinking about this. I haven't made any training resolutions or goals this year because I do that all the time anyway. So what are your resolutions this year? What are my resolutions? <laughs> um, well, one of them uh, was to take more photos just because... What? Yeah. You're always taking photos. Oh, yeah, of food. (laughs) I mean, of, like, memories. Oh, yeah, that's good. I remember that bit of back bacon. (laughs) That was phenomenal. Those are the main memories that you want. (laughs) No, but, I mean, you know, like, I was looking through some old photos the other day of us and friends and family, and it takes you right back, and, you know, like, it's it's creating memories, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I I got the camera out over Christmas, as in the camera, not the phone. Yeah. And took some proper pictures. And I just think, you know, it's, it's something 
something that I used to do a lot and now I've just got so you know accustomed to only taking a photo of food and recipes and whatnot that or selfies of your biceps and stuff I do not <laughs> take selfies of my biceps not not that I share on social media anyway <laughs> um but yeah so that was one of them so that was a bit of a random probably not your normal resolutions uh second one is travel more you know and I don't even doesn't need to be a luxury you know accommodation or on the so other side like of the a, world a trip just to Solihull well anywhere really (laughs) but you know a nice weekend away a day trip and i think we we spoke didn't we when we went to portugal in the summer last year we realized how actually how quick it was to get to france and to get to the south of france and there's some beautiful places there and and even just getting into spain actually didn't take that long to drive there and and that alone was pretty cool just stopping off at different places and and because we were camping it was cheap yeah, absolutely. You know? If you do the bungalows, I mean, we we actually camped one night and then that, that grew uh, pretty... <laughs> well, to be fair, we, we kind of got caught in some crazy storms, some weathers, yeah, which so. was, you know, probably the last thing you want to do is be in a tent. But a lot of campsites have these amazing bungalows and you can just literally drive from site to site, book into a bungalow overnight, so you haven't got to set up a tent and just see the sights. It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> and my last one, these are the three, my top three, was uh, to be more selfish... Oh, really? Yeah. And I don't mean that in a horrible way, and it's not directed at you, of course. <laughs> just just generally, I think that, and I think Keris can relate to this, I think a lot of people can relate to this, is that we spend so much time worrying and stressing about other people and doing what other people want to do and what other people would like to do and at, at kind of your expense at times. And, and, you know, it's nice to be easygoing, but then equally... You know, it's nice to do what you want to do as well. And and I don't mean, you know, like I said, I don't mean to be completely selfish that you're just brushing people off all the time, but to just invest decisions in yourself a little bit more and just think, actually, is this what I really want to do? No. Do something else. Do what you want to do instead. But actually do something. Don't just go, I don't really want to do that. I'm just going to stay in and twiddle my thumbs and do nothing. Make the most of your time. be glued to Facebook all evening. You know, actually do something, but something that makes you happy. I think they're really good. Really? What are yours? Have you thought about this? Only a couple. I'm on a, you know I'm on a mission to learn new skills really? at the moment. <laughs> so more? first I've done rowing, which I encouraged everyone out there to go and take up a, a more of a technical skill-based mm-hmm. form of exercise. Um, someone did ask me how I was going. I'm still going with the rowing. I have to say, it's <laughs> been a challenge. <laughs> In the winter, um, oh my God, hats off to anyone who rows through the winter because one session I could not even feel my hands. So my coach was shouting at me. Um, he was like, what's gone off? And I was yeah. like, I can't feel my hands. So I couldn't even feather the, the oars. So, um, but I'm, I'm really persistent. It has been hard because on occasions it's a team sport and I found it really hard to work with a team, I'll be totally honest. Sometimes my fault and sometimes I found it hard if they're a different level to me. And you know there's been occasions I've come home and just been so disheartened with the whole thing. Yeah. And gone, well, I'm not good at this, I'm not going to go back. But I have persevered and I'm going to keep going to the next level but I have thought about doing more um craft-based stuff before you start laughing this is so relevant to health because um one of my biggest issues and one of the reasons we've gone and got a mindful uh, a coach on board who's doing mindfulness on our plans is because neither me or you meditate we've got books on it we've downloaded apps but both of us struggle and it's a bit like one of the last pieces for us, you know, we get enough sleep, we eat well, we train well, we do our supplements. Neither of us sits there consciously and says, I'm just taking a break. Mm. Um, and maybe you do, because you go to the loo for like ages, but even then you take your phone. So maybe no, not I don't so much. I don't always take my phone. So, <laughs> that's about <laughs> the only time. 
Much um, to the paper. Yeah. And so, because we're so bad with that, I thought, well, um, one of the tips that Paul has given is like doing little things like cooking, but for us, cooking is slightly work-based. So even that, I don't find it that relaxing. Mm. Um, I'm trying to measure everything as I go. I'm not really being, not always, but um, yeah, so that doesn't really work for me. So I looked at some local courses and I've seen um, pottery as one. So that's one something I'm going to consider. A couple of hours doing pottery. There's a course in the in Stratford-on-Avon. Another one was chocolate making. So I'm going to explore that a little bit further. I've had a little chat with Emma Myhill. Obviously, she's a famous chocolatier. Chocolatier, yeah. Um, I've got some great tips already. And um, yeah, so I'm going to explore a little, a few craft hobbies. Um, that's as far as I've got, really. I think think part of me has got a few ideas for some, some work-based goals this year, like another book, maybe. But yeah, that's... Well, I think, you know, like... Maybe that's probably another podcast in itself yeah, exactly. about what our work goals are for 2015. But yeah. One thing I've noticed, actually, is whenever we specifically write on men's health and women's health, so you do men's health blogs and I do ones focused on women, and, and we sort of combine it with a paleo, it does seem to be an area of interest to a lot of people. And that was something we considered, wasn't it, was perhaps writing a book that was part my, half for men, half for women, yeah, and really can. getting down to a few more details in terms of how to tailor it so maybe if people feedback that's what they want then we can get cracking with that then we may well <laughs> anyway let's crack on with some questions let's do that let's do that so guys um we figured why not kind of like use the first podcast of 2015 to put it out there on social media if they had any questions at all we've had some really good questions back uh, we've had quite a lot actually uh, so we'll do our best to get through as many as we can uh some of them kind of tie in with one another which is pretty cool uh because then we can kind of answer numerous people's questions in one answer hopefully so should we get into it yeah awesome right so number one and this is from georgina manthorpe um she's actually on our plan at the moment she's doing absolutely awesome and she's got a question on fertility or more specifically as she's put it nutrition during ivf uh i'm desperate for you to cover this at some point pretty please well, she's asked so nicely, Chris. It's only right that we answer it. So um, I have like a, a, a little um, sheet that I sort of work through with clients on fertility, nutrition. And a lot of it goes against what most women are advised um, when they approach a GP or um, sometimes even a, you know, a specialist in, in, in fertility, nutrition. Because a lot of women these days, I think we've covered this before, Emma's mentioned it, are told to avoid specific foods um, like animal foods, like liver, for example, and some of the fish because of mercury and um, if anything to boost up foods that they probably don't actually need that much of. So um, my advice would be to anyone who's got any sort of fertility goal is a basic thing you can do is actually go to your GP and get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, just a standard blood test, first of all. So check that you're not deficient in certain nutrients. Um, key ones that a doctor will measure for. Um, if you're trying for a baby and have been unsuccessful, you can start to get lots of tests um, via NHS that would be really helpful. They might run um, a basic hormone profile as well. Um, the only downside to that is that they'll do a day, um, whereas female hormones change across the month. And it's really important that we're in certain um, in sync with each other. Each, yeah. each hormone is in sync across the month. And it only takes one hormone, like progesterone is usually the one that's um, compromised by stress to be out of range on even right. just one or two days. And it will change the female cycle for that month and um, compromise fertility. So complicated, you women, aren't you? We are. We are. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go to a doctor, they'll do a snapshot of the day. But even that might show that maybe testosterone is too high is a common one with things yeah. like polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
Progesterone might be too low, estrogen might be too low, uh-huh. estrogen might be too high. Um, so you'd get a bit of an inkling, okay, so hormonal balance isn't isn't great. Um, they'll also run a blood test and they'll look at things like um, iron status, B vitamins, especially B12 and, and folate. Most people know that that's really important. Quite a lot of women take Pregnacare during the time that they're trying to get pregnant. Um, not a big fan of high street vitamins. Um, if you are going to supplement, you are better going for um, what we call pharmaceutical grades. So ones that, that basically the ingredients are much cleaner. The um, you know sort of cofactors are all in there to make sure they're absorbed properly. Yeah. Um, a big thing that women need to know about um, folic acid. We've mentioned it before now on several podcasts, but. If you have a gene mutation, you might not um, be very good at converting folic acid into folate, um, right. in which case your folic acid supplements are going to actually probably do more harm than good. So you want to look for a supplement that has active folate and it will be labelled MTH, let me get this right, MTHFR, I think it is, methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, and so that's the form that you want to take. Um, you can be tested um, by, via DNA diet, but you know, as a safe bet, just take the active form instead. So, right. So um, that would be a place that I would start. Vitamin D is also really, really important. You can get tested via Birmingham University. Um, the website is all over our website. So just have a look on some of those blogs where we've written about vitamin D. Um, they would also be looking at things like calcium um, and uh, electrolyte balance. So um, potassium and sodium balance and things like that. So that would just be really helpful. They'll also test things like liver and kidney function generally. Um, so that aside, the nutrients that we do want to pack in um, I, I really think um, Emma has covered this pretty much in previous podcasts, but I tend to go down the route of making sure you're getting um, vitamin A is really, really important. And it's actually a vitamin that women have been um, really scared of because um, in excessive amounts can cause um, birth defects. But what they know now is that generally this is linked to a deficiency between the fat soluble, the family of fat soluble vitamins. So that's vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E and vitamin K. Yeah. Um, a really good all-round food source for these uh, is actually something like a fermented cod liver oil. So taking, um, I know it's really disgusting stuff and a lot of women struggle with it. You can take it as a gel or a liquid. really does make you heave, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> they even, uh, but you can take it now as a capsule, about four capsules a day. And uh, butter oil is also another great source of these. Um, obviously, that's in, on top of having butter in your diet. Um, liver and some really good organ meats generally would be fantastic for making sure you get lots of um, B vitamins and vitamin A in your nutrition. Just generally a paleo diet is going to be one of the most nutrient dense ways of eating. Um, What I would say is women have got to be careful of is the carbohydrates because carbohydrates really feed back to the body fertility. There's an abundance of calories and abundance of carbohydrates then the body um, is sort of thinking this is a great time to carry a pregnancy. And so just making sure instead of, you know, sort of having things like just eggs for breakfast and chicken salad for lunch, whatever, you know, you might want to change that to a, a sweet potato omelette for breakfast. You know, I'm not saying you have to go down the grains route of, of porridge. Um, mm. If you maybe you'd want to do quinoa and buckwheat um, just to boost up your nutrients a little bit, make sure you soak those and, and prepare them properly. Um, and then again, same thing for meals, just adding in the root vegetables, white potatoes, sweet potatoes. So making sure I'd probably take carbs to around 30 to 40 percent of your total calories, um, maybe 40 percent if you've been trying and nothing's happening um, just to feed that back. So um, some other nutrients that are really important is um, omega 
um, omega-3 levels. And obviously, um, I've just got some people tested. This can only be tested, by the way, um, at a private lab. So some people think they can go to their doctor. The, the doctor will never look at this for you. Right. It's not really on their agenda. Um, a private test, I think it ranges from, they're about £90 to have your omega-3-6 balance tested. Um, and obviously from there, you're able to then look at what the ratio is. And ideally, you want it to be you know, sort of two to one, three to one in terms of two, um, the higher one is normally six. But most women will benefit from adding in a really good um, omega-3 fish oil. And I would do that probably on top of a couple of fermented cod liver oil capsules. <laughs> so Emma mentioned, uh, she mentioned before, Minami, Minami more DHA is one of the best uh, ones in terms of best, highest levels of DHA, because DHA is really important in terms of um, uh, brain. This is this is when you're pregnant, but also you want to change your cellular you know, your cellular balance pre-pregnancy, ideally, so that, you know, that's basically what the baby is going to um, take on board or sort of feed from um, initially in the first in the first place. So um, do all this in the preparation phase. I usually recommend women just put aside three months. And most women look at me quite horrified at this point and just drop out the caffeine, drop out the alcohol. So like the real sort of nutritional toxins, drop out the gluten and the refined sugar and processed foods and yeah. just, just get yourself healthy. And within that phase... It might even be wise to dial down exercise a little bit. If you're a, you know, really into your running and your HIIT training, could be changing your hormonal balance and feeding back, you know, quite sort of, they're, they're quite stressful experiences for the body to take on. Yeah. It doesn't affect every woman this way. I've seen some women continue to train and get pregnant. I've seen some women stop train and instantly get pregnant. So it's a bit of a case of, um, you know, individual try and see, um, essentially. You can still do walking, yoga, a lot of people suggest swimming when you're actually pregnant and when you're trying to get pregnant. And right. I'm not a fan of swimming in that you're climbing into a pool of chlorine and several chemicals, which, you know, some degree of which is absorbed into the skin. Um, and I used to love swimming and I stopped because it took me days to get the chlorine out of my um, skin and hair, the smell of it. And I kept thinking, oh, I can't really be that healthy for you if you've got this like you know this chemical just if you think what they're putting the chlorine in the pool to do mm -hmm. and then you go and swim in it so if you can I'd, I'd sort of urge you to seek out more like saltwater pools or swimming in lakes really <laughs> if you can find one <laughs> you're like, yeah the Thames if you live in London anyway so in terms of exercise running is usually the big one that women um, have to be really careful of it sort of intercepts the feedback to the brain and the production of of basically the, the hormones that are involved in ovulation and and then obviously progesterone um, is really important in terms of building the the lining of the uterus ready to to sustain the pregnancy and progesterone is really depleted by stress you are doing a lot of sort of chronic cardio and things like that like um, endurance cardio but even if you're just stressed at work and doing really long yeah. days, you could be stealing, your cortisol levels will be stealing the progesterone. So you might even manage to get pregnant, but then don't sustain it, which would be incredibly sad. You might even not know that that happens. It might be very quick. But what about with regards to IVF? So Georgina mentioned nutrition during IVF. Would, would you change anything based no, on what you've just said? It or? would be really similar. If anything... I'd be really careful because I think IVF is quite a stressful experience for women, um, having supported some other clients through it. And actually, I'd be really careful of, of just overloading yourself with right. too much things to do. So as well as eating really nutritious food, I'd focus on exercise that you love. So I, I did have one woman who's a runner and she just switched to walking and yoga and she felt that that took a lot of pressure off her. 
because the IVF itself is is a difficult situation to be in and, and waiting for results and things like that. Um, so if you're just being kind to yourself, just nourishing your body and 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 actually making time to cook loads of lovely foods, I'd focus on things like um, lots of pâtés and soups are, be, are brilliant at this stage. The pâtés because you can do liver pâté, you mm-hmm. could get um, one tip actually is this, this brilliant from Paul Jamin in his Perfect Health Diet is to take about four egg yolks a day because egg yolks are a multivitamin. Um, and a great source of choline, and, and it's just going to basically, again, just set that nice environment, just an abundance of nutrients for the body. Um, so he urges to do that, take them raw, So uh, which people think is disgusting, but I actually quite like them raw. After, when I tried it, I was like, because I, I love egg yolks. So, yeah. um, you could put them in a smoothie, you could take them by just literally in your hand, knock it back, or you can mix them with olive oil and some lemon juice and vinegar as a dressing. Oh, so it just I was makes just it saying, creamy, yeah. yeah. No, I've had that as a dressing. But... Or make hollandaise sauce if you wanted to cook it. Winner. Yeah, so you've got a great recipe for hollandaise sauce. Yeah, get some egg yolks down you. And as I said, soups would be fantastic in that you could make them with bone broth, so loads of calcium and magnesium in there, um, and loads of herbs and spices and antioxidants. And if you use sweet potato or squash to thicken them, or white potato even, then you're getting a nice carbohydrate hit in there as well. Cool. Nourishing foods. And actually, what would be really important, we have to get Paul Watson on here, who's been doing the mindful stuff with us, because, you know, state of mind is just key yeah, for fertility. He's been awesome. It's got to he? be, there's got to be so much time out. There's got to be lots of positive thinking, happiness, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just constantly, I often see women at this stage so wound up about the situation and so trying to super optimise their nutrition, their body, their training, everything, that they're not really um, in a, in the right state of mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if anything, they're so wound up and so stressed about this that, you know, they're just feeding back that it's not even a safe time to carry pregnancy. It's just highly stressful. Yeah. Last thing I'd probably say is check total calories because when you do eat um, paleo food, I was just about to ask about that, actually. Um, yeah, it's very easy to go too low on the calories yeah. um, because you've increased vegetables in place of, of more refined carbohydrates. So check, um, again, this is based on what you could do is calculate your BMR. Yeah. Uh, diabetes.co.uk um, have a little uh, BMR calculator. Just put your weight and height in. Get a sense of your BMR and then you times it by a number that... Um, reflects your activity level. Reflects your physical activity level. And at least make sure you're hitting that calorie... Um, amount and lots of women are quite surprised because they're they're normally up at two thousand. Um, sorry, if I'm ringing. They're normally uh, way below something. You know, it might be two thousand that comes up and they're consuming about twelve hundred a day. So remember, you want to feedback that calories are in excess. Yeah. So the body says, ah, oh, safe for pregnancy. I think that's a lot of uh, a lot of people don't realise, like you say, when they make that initial transition. Yeah. You know <clears> that you know you're you're going from calorie dense foods to nutrient-dense foods. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an abundance of calories anymore. So it could be quite a drastic drop, couldn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, some people, you know, um, even with our plans, you know, some people, when we get them to input their meals into a MyFitnessPal, will realise that they've, they've suddenly dropped their calorie intake by 800 to 1,000 calories, even though they're still eating three, four, five times a day with snacks and stuff. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, obviously, because the meals are more nutrient-dense, the fat's higher, the fibre's higher, etc., they obviously can't consume quite as much. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big one there, you know. As much as we try to avoid calorie counting, it is important you get a general idea of where you're at, for sure, rather than just guessing, because that's just... Pointless. Yeah, I think it's worth, I mean, like we've always said, we're not fans of it. I just think it's worth everyone checking in every now and then. Now, yeah. if you moved over to this way of eating, got great results and feel amazing. But if you're 
trying to change something and have a goal of either fitness, performance or health, um, fat loss, then it's worth just knowing. Lots of people ask me, how many calories? And it's sort of like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how much you weigh. I don't know how tall you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, and again, um, it's just about taking it to that next level and, and, and you know, taking control of that and having a little look, being a bit more structured and um, a bit more logical about it than just mm. sort of guessing. But equally, don't obsess over it. No. Right, so, as we're talking about women's health and whatnot... Yeah, you love all this, don't you? Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> should we have a, a little chat about um, the menstrual cycle? Yeah. Uh, someone asked, it was actually Chan Selfie, I think. Is, is it Selfie or Kelfie? Well, Sorry, like Chan, if you're listening, I apologize <laughs> if I've got that completely wrong. And she was know a little bit more about eating during the menstrual cycle. Um, we might as well talk about training during the menstrual cycle as well. Uh, and hormone changes? Um, it's a great question, and I did actually say... I'm going to go make a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back room. in half an hour. Um, a lot of our online groups, we actually keep them open, don't we? We don't close any of them, because some great friendships are made, and um, sometimes I see discussions in there. Um, I don't often have chance to contribute. I don't have the time, but it's really useful for me sometimes just go in there and be a bit like Big Brother and just look at... See what, what's going on. Yeah, what do people need to know about? Um, and there was a great discussion in one of our groups recently where they said they'd like to know more about this. Um, the really interesting thing is this is what Anna Marsh covered at the Fitter Food Academy. So it was a guide to the a general guide to the menstrual cycle and then how to tailor your nutrition and your training around it. From the research that's been done, there are some things that you can implement. Um, so generally in the first part of the female cycle, so the days when you actually start to menstruate, this is when you get an, a surge in the hormone estrogen. And so around this time, what that actually has been suggested, this actually does, is make us slightly more um, sensitive to the hormone insulin. So a little bit better at burning fat, burning mm-hmm. nutrients. And so this is the phase where you could probably, and I'm sure women are out there going, say it, say it. <laughs> you could probably get away with a little bit more nutritionally in terms of if you wanted to increase your carbohydrates, um, if you wanted to have a little bit more dark chocolate, this would be the time that you could do it and actually get away with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and this is also the time when we would respond quite well to um, things like low-level cardio, um, nothing too intense at this point. Um, so it'd be low-level cardio and it'd be strength training because we want to make the most of If we're insulin-sensitive, we could build some serious muscle mass at this point. Um, so some strength training would be good. What we don't necessarily need, and I'm sure most women actually agree with me, is because of things like maybe the little bits of fatigue that you experience is you don't want to do anything too intense. So like the HIIT training, you know, some of the more, you know, just, inter- just like interval training generally or various forms of it. So maybe like martial arts and things like that. Yeah. So, But again, with women having fatigue and maybe some cramps and things like that, some women get a bit nauseous your sleep might be a bit disrupted, um, then most women don't feel like doing that anyway. Whereas things like a a gentle run, a long walk, um, some yoga, maybe just a little um, row or a bike ride in the gym just to get a bit of a sweat on and make you feel like you've done something can often ease things like cramps and and period pains. Um, That would be in the first phase of the cycle when estrogen is high and then we get a switch mid-cycle, so a cycle is 28 days. And in the second half, when we have higher progesterone, this is when we become slightly more insulin resistant. So this would mean we'd need to really tidy up the nutrition. So you need to get back off the dark chocolate, (laughs) possibly, you know, tailor carbs or adapt your carbohydrate intake slightly. And this is when we need to maybe encourage more of a fat burning state. So we would do things like HIIT training, 
which would give put the body in a fat burning state for 12 to 24 or whatever the science is now saying um so many hours so more of a prolonged fat burning state so generally things like cardiovascular training like jogging and stuff we're only sort of burning calories in that time the calorie burn after that workout isn't as great as if we did something where we got our heart rate up to about 90 percent right so like you know your intense kettlebell workout or your your rowing intervals so that's how you could tailor it but what anna uh, was really trying to highlight at the fit food academy was this is like a sort of an ideal scenario and if it was as, as simple as this every single woman out there would see massive benefits from implementing this but the main clause to this whole situation is that you have your insulin and your cortisol levels in check so um, that's obviously the hormone that regulates blood sugar uh, levels and it's the hormone that regulates uh, cortisol. Sorry, sorry. And our cortisol is a hormone that um, regulates, it's, it's involved in stress response. And we want cortisol to be nice and high in the morning and then it dips throughout the day when our melatonin kicks in. Yeah. And what's interesting is we've actually talked about running some adrenal programs this year where we, we include that adrenal um, test as part of the plan because it allows us to refine nutrition and training recommendations a little bit more because we ran them on a PCOS plan on a few uh, women who really wanted to um, have their test done and the results were amazing because some were completely adrenally fatigued so (laughs) this would have made absolutely that there was to be no application of this this to them because what they needed to do was actually build their bodies back up and so they needed to focus more on nourishing their bodies HIIT training could be absolutely disastrous for them, full stop. Yeah. As would low-level cardio, like a jog, you know, what they need to do is walk, yoga, probably eat more, take some adrenal support, get more sleep, and, and find out what caused that adrenal support and uh, that adrenal fatigue or that adrenal crash and address that. So it's really, you know, it's, it's not like a formula that we can just start shouting about and implementing. Um, and, and part of me, when I knew this information, um, I thought, I think it's something that a lot of women do anyway, because over their cycle, you crave carbohydrates. Um, so, you, you know, most women will just increase them. Yeah. You crave sweet things often. People say that they could literally, like, <laughs> murder somebody if they can't, if they got in the way of them and chocolate. You know, like, I've heard women say, it's like, that strong, my craving. That could be things like magnesium that's in dark chocolate and, and the iron as well, that they're really, their bodies really want. So magnesium would help relieve the tension and the cramps a little bit. Yeah. iron obviously helps the loss of blood and and often you know and, and they, they just don't want to do anything like that's just gonna beast them as it yeah. were so a lot of it is is a bit logical and probably what most women are doing anyway and it is um really just the icing on the cake you know you've got to have everything else in order first mm-hmm. so i'd probably recommend if this is something that someone's really wanting to put in place i'd get an adrenal profile done first uh, maybe even a hormone um, i didn't say this with the fertility um question but you can have a private hormone profile that looks at your progesterone, testosterone and estrogen across a 28-day cycle. So that's what I would do if I was quite serious about a goal, as well as doing temperature monitoring and, and tracking ovulation as well. Just flip back to the other question there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's all relevant. Yeah, so that's, uh, so that's that. Good answer. But if you, and there are some people on the plan actually that I think are doing so well, they would probably benefit from giving this a bit of a test and, and switching their program halfway through the cycle and maybe doing a bit of a diary as to how their body responds. And, just, and, and monitoring their pro- progress and yeah. actually seeing if it makes a difference. If it does work. Yeah. Speaking of training, so it's all just tying in perfectly, this, isn't it? <laughs> this is all by accident. It's all flowing. This is a question. Uh, two people asked something similar. Um, so Kerry Rosenberg. Uh, said you might have covered this before but benefits of fasted cardio both for body composition and endurance performance 
Um, and the reason why I said someone asked a similar question, so I might as well ask this one as well, just so it kind of all makes sense in our answer. Um, this is from Martin Romero, who said um, brrr, he wanted to know actually what the best times are for lifting weights in the day. If there's a specified time, like part of day, when's the best time to lift weights for getting lean, etc. And again, he wanted to know the benefits to training fasted. But of course, this question is based on weightlifting as opposed to fasted cardio. So we'll cover both of those now. Um, yeah, the only thing I would say is a study has come up recently. Um, I saw it on Facebook and I can't remember what journal it was in. Uh, but there has been a recent study that was done, a fasted versus fed cardio. And I think the fasted came out better again. I think the, was it 20% greater rate of, of, of fat burning on subjects over so many weeks? Um, mm-hmm. With all these studies, you know, it's, it's you, you have to emphasise everyone's individual situation yeah. is different. But what I tend to do is read them and, and have a little go at it. That's like the best you can really do and just see. And I think as somebody who... I've always been into a bit of fasted cardio because it just feels better digestively for me. Yeah. Um, I went through... I think I added in like coffee sort of in my late 20s as a, a pre-workout thing and, and still did fasted. I'd say like body composition wise, I've never been great at, I don't think it serves me as many favours in terms of building lean body mass and, and fat burning maybe. But I found that when I was trying to do things like freeform amino acids that there is a benefit, but it's an expensive supplement to take. Um, it's just an extra step in my morning routine. And sometimes for me, just getting up and getting out is just uh, more effective. You're referring to fasted cardio right now. So that's fasted cardio. And what I would say is... Because that, uh, that for me would be the primary difference in that... It was one other point. Uh, <laughs> no, with the fasted cardio, there were only other point. Uh, another study was saying the green tea. So that was just what I'm saying. It tastes better, does it? <laughs> it's a matter of opinion. Do you know what? As somebody who, I used to start my day on, on tea, as mm-hmm. in like I'm northern, so it was a proper builder's brew. Tea and biscuits. <laughs> tea and biscuits, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and start my day on tea and biscuits, no, just tea. What I found is if I'm just a bit strong about it in the morning and reach for the, the green tea rather than the coffee, I do actually really enjoy it because I just love my first morning brew anyway. Yeah. I can save my coffee for a bit later when I can sit down and enjoy it reading blogs and doing research and this that and the other so you know what I don't know if it makes a bigger difference but I just feel um it's nice drinking a green tea first thing in the morning pre-workout I think I get a bit of a a crash after having coffee coffee yeah combined with cardio I just think it's quite a lot on your adrenals to take and I don't tend to feel it in the morning but I feel it in the afternoon well I mean speaking of coffee one of the ladies who again this is Adele Flynn she's actually done a few of our plans now she's on our january plan as well and we were having this discussion the other day about pre-workout coffee yeah she was saying how she kind of misses having a pre-workout coffee and that little kind of lift before a session and uh we kind of got into the into the conversation about you know the more so the the ritual of having a pre-workout coffee because obviously we've cut out caffeine for january we're serving green tea yeah um but we've cut out uh, caffeinated coffee i like my pre-workout coffee However, at the moment, I'm just having a pre-workout decaf coffee. So my my ritual, so to speak, my routine is exactly the same um, as it normally would be, minus, obviously, the, the heavy hit of caffeine. And I'm absolutely killing it in the gym <laughs> without uh, blowing my own trumpet too much. You know, like, um, I think I got over this quite a while ago and just came to terms with the fact that pre-workout coffee can have huge benefits, don't get me wrong. But, you know, like I said, we, we, we've cut it out for January, as we, we tend to do from time to time anyway. And my workouts have not been affected. 
Um, however, I am referring to space sessions now, although, you know, I train, pre- I train pretty hard. Intensity is quite high when I train and I don't feel affected at all through not having a caffeinated beverage beforehand. So I was going to say another thing to take into account, what, what you were saying was that the actual nature of your workout is so significant. And yeah. um, interestingly, speaking to Barry, I don't know if he mentioned this um, in the last podcast or if I'm thinking back to when I saw him present, but his pre-workout routine was just a black coffee yeah. and some coconut oil. And he would go for hours. And because, I mean hours. Well, that was what I was going to say. It's because obviously part of Kerry's question was fasted cardio for body composition and endurance performance and I think that is a huge one it's quite tough to answer because obviously you've got this guy Barry on the one hand who but he's completely fat adapted exactly so he's completely fat adapted yeah you know probably been training no doubt for a hell of a long time has tried tried and tested lots of different kind of uh methods with nutrition supplementation fasted non-fasted etc you know so it's very and he did the changes um, really interesting. I think he covered this on the podcast, but he changed gradually. Yeah. So he, I don't know if he did have porridge for breakfast, I'm not sure what he had, but he very gradually dialed down the carbs, increased the fats. When his body recognised fat as a fuel and he knew he was quite effective at using that as a fuel, then he goes out on really long bike rides and runs on just the, the coffee. And I think yeah. he sometimes that's coconut oil. There's not a lot of people so out there. That, I was going to say, there's not a lot of people out there that could do that. So if you've been eating yeah. quite a lot of carbs and things like that, your body might not be able to go for much more than an hour yeah. without having sustenance. But well, that, 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 that's the, the key point, isn't it? I mean, you, Because it's not fat adapted, not because the body can't, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but also, you know, how your kind of nutrition is and overall health outside of that window, obviously, yeah. Yeah. plays a huge role as to how your body would perform fasted for a long period of time at intensity level. You know what I mean? Because m- most people who do like, far- if you're going to do a fasted cardio, like Kerry said, anything that's like 90 minutes plus, maybe if you're training for a triathlon or a marathon, whatever it may be, you've just got to look at your actual performance. You know, performance improving? Is it declining? Are you are you getting knee pain, joint pain, muscle pain, whatever it may be? Because you're that recovering could- as well. Yeah, exactly. So you know, they're they're all things that you need to look at. But generally, um, like Kerry said, you know, speaking about Barry, you know, that's probably quite rare and far far and few between. I'd say probably as a as a starting point for anybody, if your workout is um, you know sort of forty five minutes to an hour, and you're just doing something like a run or a bike ride, um, you could do it fasted. You could try it with some pre-workout green tea or coffee. These are just different options to trial. And if you do trial them, do a bit of a training diary and do it for more than a day. So do it for several sessions. And if you could afford, I think, free-form amino acids to help you um, preserve muscle mass are really nice to have. Um, In terms of a fat loss goal, definitely. Um, I was going to say that, to be fair, my personal preference, whether it's cardio for body comp or performance or fasted weight training... I always get amino acids in there. Yeah. Just, just you know, to, to prevent muscle wastage. And it's as simple as that. And, you know, it's not like you're taking on a ton of extra calories or carbs or anything like that. It's 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 amino acids. Yeah. You know, so it's just kind of like giving yourself a little bit of a safety net. In, like I said, in terms of muscle wastage. Personally, I am a morning trainer. I take some greens with my aminos just because uh, amino acids can be quite acidic. Um, so I just take uh, some green powders with it as well, just to kind of try and balance that out a little bit. I'd say another really important point is um, if you are going to train fasted, 
if you get up quite early and you're not training till, um, so say you woke up at seven, but you're not training till 10, there is a bit of a danger that your blood sugar levels might go too low. Yeah, um, and, and cortisol go too high. And cortisol might, might spike a little bit. So generally try and train if you are fasted within two hours of waking. So in terms of that timing, um, or obviously like... I'd say less though. I'd say... No, if, ideally less. Yeah, but yeah. say someone's going to work and doing some yeah. stuff and it's it's probably about two to two and a half hours uh, before you'll get that sort of blood sugar dip and then you're going to need to take something on. Um, you probably feel that as well. Some people don't. Some people actually do train at 10. That's the intermittent fasting rule. You train at 10 and you feed in the, in the post-workout window at 12, mm. 11, 12. Um, but personally, I'd say... Um, if you're doing fasted, have that as a plan. If your workouts are longer than 45 minutes to an hour, if you're doing some sort of event or endurance training, I would take uh, amino acids and coconut oil, um, maybe some energy bars en route. I don't know if you might want to take those on board. Um, coconut oil or coconut water? Um, I was going to say like a little shot of coconut oil for energy because it bypasses digestion. Yeah. Um, coconut water would be great for electrolytes as well. So this is like a long cycle or something like that. And I'm talking endurance performance now, like you're training for an event or something. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the actual timings, most of the studies would suggest that 10 and 4 o'clock are, are good times for our bodies to um, train in terms of hormonally, that's when we're geared for it. And obviously a bit later in the day, joints are nice and warm as well. Yeah. But obviously that's really not going to happen for a lot of people. You know, not many people can dive out of the office at that time or leave their jobs at that time. You know when the best time to train is? <laughs> what are you most likely to? At a time when it allows you to train. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, Because it, it's all good us saying 10 and 4. No, I'm just then... saying what the, like hormonally. No, that, I know, that's I know, but time. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, but... but... Well, I think with these things, like these are both great questions and it's probably a question we get a lot, but I think people complicate the hell out of this. Well, I think if you were um, like us, for example, we work from home, so we yeah. could train at 10 and 4. Yeah. And at the weekend, you could train at 10 and 4. What I would say is for me, if I don't get out the door straight away, um, the chance of it happening decreases by 90%. Yeah, basically. <laughs> by 100%? I've, I used to train like... Uh, sometimes I used to train at lunchtime when I was in an office, but now after years and years and years of it, it's like I don't know. Just I, I look I, like I walk every day. Yeah. I walk the dog, but my training window is literally half an hour after I wake up, and if yeah, I don't do it, then snap. it's gone. I've, I've tried doing it. You know, I've tried getting up, doing some work, and then going to the gym. It just doesn't work. No. It doesn't work. So if I'm up, I hydrate, I have a coffee, have my aminos, and go, and boom, I'm out the door. Yeah, and I saw a blog recently that said. Um, it was actually by a woman, and she said, "Just get up, hydrate, and get." Do you think it was actually by a woman? Oh, I don't, I don't know what I said. Why did you say that? I saw a blog by a woman. How dare a woman? Sorry, write no. A pre-workout. I meant to say post. a blog aimed at women oh, by right. a woman, and what she was saying as a trainer was, she feels she's done loads of complicated programs in her life and trained for hours, and she said she gets more benefit, body composition, health, energy wise um mindset wise from just doing half an hour a day but her rule is get up have a drink and be out the door within 30 minutes yeah and uh, and just do and then also do 30 minutes and then she stops and she said some days it's sprints some days it's a light run some days it's a bodyweight workout some days it's weights and i loved that i thought there's like variety there's different stimulus it's realistic and works for her yeah so Loads of those are different um, answers there. In terms of the timing, one thing that is really important to, to know is um, first thing in the morning, cortisol's highest. We've just mentioned this. So that is a great time to train because that's yeah. when your get up and go is just is just peaking. 
Um, and obviously, right the way through to 10 o'clock, that's a good idea. Well, if you train... Cortisol, I was just going to say, like, cortisol frees up fatty um frees up fatty acids, doesn't it? Yeah, basically. So, so if you can use them in that sense, of course, because sometimes, you've mentioned this before, um, and actually taking coffee pre-workout is the same as spiking your cortisol or doing a little bit of hit, then some endurance cardio is a really similar thing, a little yeah, bit so of a fat-burning tool, isn't it? You know, like, we, we've mentioned this before, but, you know, like a good, like, you know, just to give a bit more detail on what Keris is saying, is like you might get up in the morning as you normally do, hydrate, maybe take on your aminos if you want to. Um, obviously, like Kerry says, cortisol is highest. Then you may have a coffee, a caffeinated coffee, because um, then the caffeine will raise cortisol a little bit more. So again, you're, you're freeing up more fatty acids. But then before you do like any kind of like long duration cardio, you may well do a, like a Tabata, for example, which is where you do 20 minute, uh, 20 seconds of high intensity exercise for argument's sake on a on a on a bike. Go kind of health level for 20 seconds, rest for 10 seconds. And repeat that eight times, uh, so for four four minutes total. So again, that kind of high intensity will raise cortisol a little bit more, free up more fatty acids. So then you fill up all these fatty acids, and then you go and do your long duration cardio. That's going to be about forty to sixty minutes, however long you you plan on doing it. But uh, I was going to say that that's that's awesome. And the last point I was going to say is, if your only option is to train at night, when really our cortisol levels should be low, what's good to do is. Um, try and put some post-workout amino acids into your um, into your supplement regime that's sort of lower cortisol because it can really affect sleep. And if you do have poor sleep, I do tend to advise against this if you're trying to get sleep in order and mm-hmm. you've got insomnia and things. Um, going to a gym and just sort of, you know, elevating cortisol and adrenaline late at night is not really going to help that situation. Um, but you can take things like taurine, um, and magnesium which can be quite helpful in terms of lowering yeah. all of those and helping with sleep we actually experimented with um nutri advance sent us some samples of um <laughs> mega mag carmies which was um or carmeasy i don't know how you say it carmies i think carmies <laughs> yeah um carmeasy and, and we really liked that didn't we although yeah. it was quite sweet i have to say but yeah yeah you did. <laughs> it was like a dessert after dinner um and that was a really nice one and you could just stick a scoop of that in your post-workout shake uh, if you wanted to, that would be helpful. I think that was L-theanine. I can't remember if it was Tory. Definitely magnesium. Um, so that would be good. Uh, but Martin, um, just going back to your question and maybe pushing this to more uh, weights, for example. So my current routine is kind of like more strength-based, hypertrophy-based. And I'm just currently taking a straight-up uh, 811 uh, BCAA powder in with my water and my greens. So that, you know, so... It, Branched-chain amino acids is leucine, nice leucine and valine. So there's a lot of studies now suggesting the uh, 811 ratio of obviously, you know, like leucine is kind of known as the more anabolic, yeah, uh, like amino acid. And so getting that 811 ratio, like there's loads of studies now saying that that's kind of the superior one over the traditional 211, 411, whatever it may oh, be. Oh, you just complicating things now. Oh, shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, so just, get, just, just Google that, buddy. Just get, get yourself just a straight-up 811 amino acid. I've been taking that fasted uh, pre-workout, and it's, it's doing me just fine. Um, just very quickly, though, actually, you were saying about post-workout if you're training of an evening. Um, it's really important that you kind of probably get some carbs in you as well. Oh, cool. Sorry, yeah, um, good point. Really good point. So don't forget those. Uh, don't try and like miss out dinner or getting those down your post-workout because that will help you kind of relax, unwind and prepare you for a solid sleep. Um, we've got time for one more question. 
Yeah, I think we should do. Someone asked, what are the best full body kettlebell exercises that you can do? Oh, yeah, this is the cool exercise, actually, yeah, because um, as you may or may not know, we. Someone actually else asked, what are the best exercises for strength and flexibility? And I think the answer is the same for these because I think kettlebells are the single best, were the best way of strength training and, and maintaining flexibility because of the, the ballistic movements that you do. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Mm, yeah, kind of. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. Everything about your tone says, no. No, but I mean, like, I think there's um, a big misconception that people think if you lift heavy weights, you will lose flexibility or you yeah, can't maybe. be strong and flexible. And I think the kettlebells have the edge in the sense of providing a lot of the exercises. I think because of the dynamic yeah. nature of, of kettlebells as yeah. opposed to your general kind of like big lifts. But And some of the exercises like a, a windmill or an overhead squat. In oh, terms of really like, improving your oh, flexibility, yeah. if you're really going to warm up for those properly and do them, do the wall squats and things that you know people need to actually build up to those exercises. Well, even with the kettlebell swing as well, you, you think of the way you're loading your posterior chain, and yeah. because of the, the like you know the dynamic and the nature of the movement, you know your hamstrings are going to get a nice little passive stretch there as well at the same time. So you're going to get some good flexibility there. At, of the hammies and whatnot. But, I mean, you just got to look at someone like a Dmitry Klokov, you know, Russian Olympic weightlifter. You know, he's 105 kilos, absolutely shredded, you know, and he's, he well, can lift stupid amounts of weight overhead. But can he do a downward dog? I'm sure he'd, he'd probably do a downward <laughs> dog with, you know, a dog on top of him. <laughs> a big dog. Like, you know, he's a seriously strong dude and he's got incredible flexibility. But more importantly... He's got strength throughout that entire range of movement. Yeah. And that's, that's the other big thing. I mean, you know, why do you want to get flexible? You know, what, what benefit is that going to have to you? Because it's one thing being flexible, but having strength through the entire range of movement. And stability. And stability is a whole different ball game because, you know, a lot of people that I've worked with have come to me with injuries because they were flexible but and started doing these kind of like crazy exercises but didn't actually have the strength for the entire range to do them and then they get injured so a key um group of people that we used to work with i'd say would be dancers and, and yogis that were very flexible but not always as stable as they necessarily should be in those ranges of movement yeah. because they That's moved so point. often and, and and got their limbs and their joints you know sort of almost so flexible that they they had to then work on a bit more stability and um i think yoga not so much actually i'd say it was probably more the dancers that were you know they've done that all their lives yeah what i was going to say for um cowbell exercises for me i'm completely different to you <laughs> i would definitely say the swing was without doubt and variations of the swing were my favorite yeah um i was good at it i felt it everywhere when i did it and it's quite cardiovascular for me so i just loved all of that um i was a big fan of the windmills um, and again, it was something that I just focused on and got quite strong at. So um, because that is a move, I think, that really improves your flexibility, really works your core. You feel it in all the right places that are quite hard to... It really helped my back, actually. Yeah, because you're working things like the obliques, um, even things well, like shoulder packing. If, even if you do it properly, though, like your glutes fire and, yeah, and everything. Yeah. You know, you feel it in places that you wouldn't really expect to... I mean, to look at it, you think, oh, that must really work your midsection. Yeah. But you do it properly... Christ, you, know, you feel everywhere. it everywhere. I used to feel it quite like my lats when um, doing the shoulder packing and things. But, they would be, I'd say, my two and probably the snatch, but then, I don't know, I think towards the end of doing the kettlebell snatch, I used to rip my hands so much because I wasn't always that great with the, the hand technique. or I just, 
I just used to go overboard with them. I just at one point I love them so much I do hundreds of them, and then I just wipe myself out from training for a long time. But if you can master the kettlebell snatch, I think it's it is awesome. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly a feel good exercise. Yeah. Like uh, you know, it's if you can nail it and get the technique right, it's a pretty awesome exercise to do. But the thing is as well with kettlebells. I mean, my, my what I love about them the most is kind of that you can you can put together a pretty cheeky circuit. You know, if you've got a pair of kettlebells and you can just go from one exercise straight to the other quite smoothly and get into a bit of a rhythm with that. And and that's always good fun, especially if you're pushed for time. But but I would just say you can't go wrong with a swing. If you nail that properly, you know, you're going to hit your posterior chain massively, your hamstrings, your glutes, your low back, upper back, your midsection is going to get a solid workout. You go quite high rep, your, your heart rate is going to be through the roof. I absolutely love kettlebell racked squats as well. Great way to hit the lower body as well as... You love everything I hate. Maybe it's like a man-woman thing, definitely. I don't know. Definitely, they were like my worst nightmare, rack but squats. If I was doing kettlebells, I'd always look at... A swing would always feature, 100%. Because yeah. yeah. it loads on posterior chain, gets my heart rate going. And well, it sort of sets it aside from other weights as well in, in that well, sense. And that's the thing, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a kettlebell swing is a kettlebell swing. Like, yeah. You can do a dumbbell swing, but it's just not the same. Whereas a lot of other exercises, such as front squats, presses, renegade rows. Oh, I forgot about renegade rows. Snatches, yeah. you know, like you, you can do those with other pieces of kit. Pieces of kit. Yeah. However, for me, like one of my favourite circuits would be swings, double racked front squats, push press, renegade rows. So then that way I'm getting my squat, I'm getting my pull, I'm getting my push, and then I'm getting swings. So I'm kind of hitting all bases there. You know, I'm putting stuff overhead, I'm pulling stuff. I'm loading up my posterior chain and that for me was always a bit of a winner and of course you can just play around with that and adjust the weights and the reps accordingly so if you want to do something more strength based and just go for five reps of each or you want a bit something that's a bit more endurance based then by any by all means whack the the repetitions up to 10 15 20 reps even but I always just always look at same with anything kettlebells barbells dumbbells what gives you the most bang for your buck you know, you're going to start doing bicep curls with a kettlebell. You know, it's probably not going to get the most use out of a kettlebell as a training tool. You know, so look at the big lifts and look at the variations you can do with kettlebells. And to be fair, I mean, I just listed um, five. Did I list five? I wasn't counting. Yeah, it was about five. <laughs> you know, and to be fair, you don't really need to go much beyond that. You can do. But, um, you know, think of the most bang, bang for your buck exercises. Put them together. Go as hard as you can with good technique and you'll be laughing. And I, one I forgot actually, Turkish get up in terms of flexibility and just because you go through several different stages of movement and it's a really nice one where you are mindful mm. <laughs> because you've got that bell above your head and if you, if, you don't, if you lose focus for a second, you could be in trouble. So that's a great exercise, but do go to a good trainer either to learn the dumbbell or kettlebell variation, someone who's either got the, um, I was going to say RKC, but it's now um, called now Strong First Strong First qualification or an IKFF instructor, somebody who really knows what they're doing. I've seen some terrible Turkish kettlebells. Yeah, whatever you do, do not try and teach yourself <laughs> because there's been some absolutely atrocious techniques. YouTube University. And, I, mean, I mean, I won't say their names just because it's not my style, but there's a few people online who are, quite well known in the fitness industry so to speak and their kettlebell technique has been I was just speechless put it this way and I was incredibly shocked that it was allowed to go out there but anyway yeah what Kerry said try and get um, some good instruction on that I'm sure I've got a few videos I'm sure I put them up on the Fit Food page of um, some kettlebell circuits um, but I'll post them again I'm going to post some more anyway because we do like our kettlebells and we said how we've uh, 
put them on the back burner a bit of late, haven't we? And we've kind of all missed week, them. So. All week I've been saying, because they're in the garage, I'm going to get them out and I'm going to um, start some circuits. So hopefully we can film a few and... Yeah, give get, people some ideas. Give some ideas, maybe run some work. As well as other stuff as well, yeah. like barbells and whatnot, we'll get some workout ideas up for you there. But yeah, but like Kerry said, we're going to have some uh, uh, kettlebell workshops coming up this year. Last year was a bit mental and we just couldn't fit them in, but hopefully we'll squeeze them in this year, won't we? Alrighty, so um, good questions, guys. Sorry we couldn't get through all of them. Uh, we'll probably try and cover some of the ones we missed in the next episode, episode 41. Have an awesome day, evening, weekend, whatever it is when you're, you're listening to this podcast. And we will speak to you very, very soon. Have a good one. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.